Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can spend some time in your word this morning. And Lord, thank you for everyone's effort to be here this morning on a holiday weekend. Just pray that you would meet us in a very personal and and fresh and tangible ways. As we look at Israel at this point in their history, where they're demanding of you their will, God, may it really be etched in our hearts and our minds to surrender to you, to to not demand of you, but to truly want to submit to you and live in your will. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand in Jesus' name? Amen. Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8 for our study this morning. Israel is at a real turning point in their history. You might be able to think of different junctures in your life where you had a decision to make. You were at a crossroads. Maybe it was in praying about who you should marry, and you're sitting next to the person that you chose to marry. Maybe you look back at a point in your education, and you took a crossroads, and you said, I'm going this direction. I'm going to invest in, in these particular things. Maybe it was in the nature of health, and you're sitting in the hospital, and you're making some health choices because of a situation that has fallen But you look back and you go, that was a really important time in my life. And the children of Israel as a nation, things are going to change. The landscape of the country is going to change in this one small chapter. They're going to go from having judges, and the judges were deliverers that God raised up for them for a particular time. But God was their king. God was their leader. They had no formal government, and they're going to request, in fact, they're going to demand of God, we have to have a king because we want to be like the other nations that are around us. And all of the Old Testament is pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. God's very systematic in allowing his people to go through different experiences so that we would know our need for Jesus Christ. It starts with the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. There's no sin. They haven't sinned. They're they're not born sinners of that sinful nature perfect environment. And what do they do with that perfect environment? They sin, showing that we need more than a perfect environment. A lot of people are trying to get back to the garden, aren't they? They're saying, I just, I just got to get back to this perfect environment. And then I wouldn't need Jesus Christ. I wouldn't sin. I'm just a product of my environment. And we see that that thinking is very flawed. So then the next thing is, well, God, just give us some rules. If you give us rules, then we can keep those rules and we wouldn't need you to send your son to to die for us. So God gave the law. And what was Israel's experience with the law? They've fallen short. They've fallen miserably. That's our experience as well. If we were saved by a system of works, we would fall short. We We do fall short. The law shows us our need for Jesus Christ. So then we get to Judges, the book of Judges, and it's this idea of let everybody do what's right in their own eyes. Very similar to today. People are inherently good. If you just give them freedom and say, here you go, do what seems right to you. And the book of Judges is a horrible mess. By the end of the book of Judges, you see a society that's unraveling because of sin. And then that transitions into 1 Samuel, where Samuel's the last judge. And we'll find now that they're going to demand a king, and Saul is going to be the first king. All, All we need is a great government. All we need is a great leader. If we just had a great leader, then everything would be fine and and we wouldn't even need God because we have such an incredible leader. We have a king. And as you study the kings in the Chronicles, 
most of the kings fail miserably. There's very few kings that do it right and do it honorably before the Lord. And God's showing us you need the king of kings, Jesus Christ. He's the one that you need. He's your savior. So all of the Old Testament is showing us why today we want to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to title this message, Demands, because Israel is demanding of God a king. Let's look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. He's getting up in age. He sees his time approaching where he's going to die. So he wants to set up judges that are come behind him. So he makes his sons to be judges. They have the title and they have the position, but they never have the calling of God. So they're not true judges. Anybody can be given a title, but not have the calling of God. Notice the difference between Samuel making his sons to be judges and God making his sons to be judges. Samuel had that testimony of God working in his life to raise him up to be a judge. His sons don't have that. It's simply Samuel trying to meet his needs, meet a need, and say, here, my sons will be the judges over Israel. In verse 2, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. If you're looking at a map of Israel, Beersheba is in the southern part of Israel. They're operating in a different city than Samuel did. Samuel was in Ramah throughout uh, his ministry. In verse 3, but his sons didn't walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. How tragic, Samuel grew up with Eli. Eli's sons didn't follow and serve the Lord. And you remember the judgment that was given to Eli and to his sons. Now Samuel finds himself in a similar position. Here he has walked with the Lord his whole life, but his sons are not following the Lord. And notice how it reads in verse 3, they didn't walk in his ways. Following God never became personal for them. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is something to, to write down, is obedience to God is a personal choice. It's a personal choice. It, it always is. It may be, well, this is what mom and dad do. This is what my grandpa does. My grandpa was a pastor. My grandpa served the Lord. This is what my wife does. You know, this is what our family does. But we have to make that personal choice to make it our ways, not just Samuel's ways, not just his ways. And I can relate to this. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, but didn't have a heart for God until I was in high school. I really resented that upbringing more than wanting to choose it for myself. It was my parents' choice, but it wasn't my choice. And thankfully, God got my heart by his grace. Maybe you find yourself there. You, you come regularly because of some obligation. You're like, man, my wife gets so mad if I don't come to church. I'm here, even here on 4th of July weekend. I feigned a cough and it just didn't work. You know, I'm, I'm here anyways, or mom and dad make me come, or, or whatever the case may be, is God wants you to choose for yourself. He's always concerned with a personal relationship where it's a choice of love. God, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing to, to serve you. What went wrong with Samuel's sons? We don't know. We don't see that God is judging Samuel the way that he did Eli. So Samuel must have held his sons accountable. But we do know from the scriptures they never made that personal choice. They never chose it for themselves. This happens throughout the kings. It's a little bit of a mystery. 
You have a king who his dad completely rejected the Lord, walked in gross idolatry, and he chooses to serve the one true living God. And then you have someone like David, who had a heart after God, was a consistent worshiper, and his son Absalom falls off the wagon. So there's really no rhyme or reason to it. And it's the most scary thing as a parent, isn't it? If you have kids and trying to raise them in the ways of the Lord, is ultimately they all get to make a choice. They all get to choose and decide for themselves. And we pray, God, would you work in their lives in such a way that they would choose you? But ultimately, the choice is theirs. It's all of ours to give our hearts and lives to Christ. They reject the Lord and they choose dishonest gain, bribes, perverting justice. They're walking in wickedness. In verse 4, Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Look, you are old. Don't you just like the honesty of scriptures? Hey, Samuel, let's just shoot straight here. You're old. I think the Hebrew culture must be a little bit more direct than ours. You, you couldn't go visit your grandmother in the nursing home and sit down with her and go, look, Grandma, you're old. We've got to make some plans here. That's exactly how they go to Samuel. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. They say, look, your sons are disobedient. They don't under, honor God. They're walking in wickedness. So make us a king to be like all of the other nations. They're trying to use Samuel's son's disobedience as a justification for their own disobedience to God. What would have been a better response here? Okay, your sons clearly aren't judges. So let's seek God for what he would want to do now. We're following God, not your sons. Samuel, we're appreciative for you, but we're not even following you. We're following the Lord. But instead, they say, no, we want to be like these other nations. We do the same thing a lot of times. When someone around us disobeys, dishonors God, we can get frustrated, and we can then try to use their disobedience as a justification for our disobedience, but that never works according to the Lord. You, know, you might have been hurt by a spiritual leader, a mentor, a pastor. And then you go, well, you know what? Because they hurt me, because they're not honoring God, because they're not walking in God's ways, then forget it. I I'm going to walk in, in disobedience. And that's unfortunate. That's not God's heart. We should look past that and say, man, it really hurt. It really hurt the way that Samuel's sons are behaving, but I'm following the Lord. I've said this many times. I want to continue to say it, is I hope that you're following Jesus Christ not a particular church, not a particular leader, that your eyes are on the Lord because people will let you down, but the Lord will never let you down. But we are not allowed to use other people's disobedience for a justification for our own disobedience. You might look at your immediate family and go, you know what, this is what my parents did. You know, so forget it, I'm frustrated, I'm gonna walk away. And Israel makes that mistake. Now let's think about their logic for just a minute. Why would they want to be like these other nations? What were these other nations? They were nations that were in idolatry, gross sin, had no heart for the one true living God at all. And that's who they're looking to to be their model. They're going, well, they all have a king, so we better have, have a king as well. We need to be honest that sometimes in our hearts and our lives, we're looking around at the world and we're saying we want to be similar to them. Because this is what the world does, then this is what we need to do as well. 
But what does God call us to? Don't be conformed to the world. Don't get pushed into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why would we take our marching orders from them? They don't even know God. They don't love God. They don't serve God. They've got a a whole other set of priorities. And we want to pin this struggle just on young people, right? High school students, junior high students, and go, they're always concerned about what everybody else thinks about them, but it happens for adults as well, doesn't it? Go to work Monday morning and all of a sudden start acting like everybody else acts because I got to be similar to them. You're hanging out and you're with your neighbors on your street and they're asking you, what did you do this morning? And you were here at church, but you don't want to say, I was at church. Well, I got together with some friends on Sunday morning, July 5th at nine in the morning. That's kind of, yep, just, just got together with some friends because we don't want to just come out and say, man, I was at church. I was worshiping Jesus and I had a great time. Yeah. And we can fall into to that pressure of the world. I've got to be similar to what the other nations are doing. But sometimes we even look at each other inside of the body of Christ and we get gift envy, don't we? We go, man, I, I really admire how God's using them. I, I want to be like them. I want their, their calling. I think of Kent and Becca Nolly, who just went off to be missionaries in Uganda, and they safely, safely arrived. And you could look at them and go, well, man, I want to be like them. I'm going to be a missionary to, to Uganda. But if you're not called to Uganda, you're going to get chewed up in 15 minutes and spit out, right? Not everybody's called to go to Uganda. You know, I listened to Chance play the guitar up here, and some of those beautiful solos that he had on the acoustic guitar. And I play guitar, but I don't play guitar like that. And it's real easy to get some gift envy and go, I want to be like that. But that isn't the calling that God has, has given to me. And so whether it's looking at the world or looking at, at other believers, it's a downward spiral once we enter into that mindset. Paul must have struggled with the same thing. Because in Galatians 1.10 he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I pleased men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. We need to be in that place of saying, I want to be a slave unto Jesus. I want to be concerned with being like him, not by being liked by others. In verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. What a wonderful example. Do you ever get displeased with others? Of course we do. Do you ever get frustrated with others? Absolutely. Many times we speak before we pray, don't we? And Samuel's frustrated. He can't believe that they're rejecting God as a king. So what does he do? He goes and he prays. And he speaks out of that place of communion with God. Moses did the same thing. When he was frustrated with the children of Israel, he would fall on his face before the Lord. Just try it. Next time you're frustrated with someone, instead of pontificating or spewing on them, just take some time to pray. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help me to do that. In verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. The heart of the issue is that they've rejected the authority of God in their lives. They've rejected the lordship of God. What that means is God being our master and us submitting ourselves to his will and coming coming before him. The reason that they want an earthly king is because they no longer want to surrender to the king of kings. 
And this is what is spoken to Samuel. He says, Samuel, don't take this personal. Samuel must have been in that place of taking it personal. So hard for him to hear this at the end of his life. God says, Samuel, it's not about you. They're rejecting me. They no longer want me to reign over them. What's interesting is God gives them what they want, even though it's not the best for them. And this is a truth that we need to wrestle with for a while. If we demand things of God, say, God, I want this. Give this to me. I want this. Give this to me. He may just say, okay, I'm going to give you full knowledge on this. I'm going to give you all the information that this is not a good idea. But if you really want this, I'm going to go ahead and grant this to you. Much better to pray the way Jesus taught us, not my will, but your will be done. Come to the Lord with our desires. God, this is how I see this situation. This is how I see this job. It seems like it would be a wonderful job, but you know better than me. So even though I desperately want this, I want your will even over my will. It's not wrong to pursue things that are godly. It's not wrong to pursue things that are good. It's not wrong to knock on doors and pursue the desires of your heart as you're delighting in the Lord, but leave it open-handed. God, I'm going to let you make the final decision in this. I'm going to let you lead and guide. I'm listening to your voice. Don't heed my voice. I want to heed your voice. You see how this is, is backwards? Maybe you're considering getting married. Man, give that decision over to the Lord. God, I really like this guy. I really like this gal. My heart's doing all kind of crazy stuff. I didn't know it could happen like this, you know. I'm all Twitter-pated, and I want this. But Lord, I want what you want even more than what I want. Would you please lead me and guide me and direct me? You know, there's been a few times in my life that I look back and I go, there were things that I really desired. There's things that we even desired as a ministry and as a group of elders here that we stepped out in faith for, and I was disappointed when God closed the door. But then in hindsight, I'm like, God, you know so well. It's probably four or five years ago, there was a high-powered AM station that came on the market here in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Had a great listening radius. It went all the way down to New Mexico, up to the Colorado-Wyoming border, out west to the mountains, out east. Really, really reasonable. And it was just one of these auctions where you just put in a bid, see if you get it. And we invest pretty heavily in radio and being on FM stations and to reach out to our community. And God's really used it over the years. And thinking this would be great stewardship. You know, let's, let's go ahead and put in a, a bid on this, this station. We didn't get it. Somebody outbid us by just a few thousand dollars. And I was disappointed until about three years ago. And I gave out a big shout of hallelujah when it finally dawned on me, AM radio is dying, right? Here we would have been stuck with this AM radio station that we couldn't sell to anybody, right? And it's, people aren't, the AM audience is not growing. Now, if you listen to AM radio, the Lord bless you, that's awesome. I listen to AM radio sometimes, but, but what's growing? It's internet, you know? Internet is where we're going to, to listen to things more and more and more, and it's much cheaper and more reasonable than radio. God knew better than we did, and we're thankful that he closed the door and we trust him in those things. When I was young and, and, and growing up in ministry, I grew up in Southern Oregon, and I really had a heart to stay in 
Oregon, Washington, or Idaho. I grew up in a small town in, in Southern Oregon, and sometimes when you grow up in small towns, you don't get much of a mindset out of that. Like when we would go on vacation, we would go tent camping up in the mountains, a couple hours away. You know, didn't really get on airplanes and go do stuff like that. And all my family was in this area, generations born here, and this is what I was used to. And so even if you go away to college, a lot of times your aspirations are after college, I'll come back and work at Bymart. You know, a lot of my friends that I grew up with in high school, they're still in Southern Oregon. They're like, wow, they finally brought a Costco to Southern Oregon and it's a great place to work and I'm staying right here at Costco the rest of my life, you know. I didn't have much of an imagination for anything out, outside of that. And so this church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, called me when I was 21 through a relationship and said, would you be interested in coming out to talk with us about being a youth pastor here? And I said, nope, sure wouldn't be interested in that, you know. I'm going to stay in Oregon, Washington, or northern Idaho. I'm dead serious. I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask anything, you know, ask anybody else what they thought about it. I had my mind made up. I had my demand of God, you know. I want a king. I want southern Oregon, Washington, or northern Idaho. I'll serve you, Lord, anywhere you want inside of this region. <laughs> and it was about six weeks later, and God just kind of gave me a head slap. It was a still small voice definitely the Lord, but it felt like a ton of bricks. Why don't you call them? They're offering to pay for your plane ticket, your expenses to go. Why don't you just go talk with them and, and see what I would do? So I called back and said, if you guys are still looking, I'd be willing to come. They were gracious enough to say, yeah, come on out. And the, the rest is history. And my life has been so blessed by God bringing me here. I met my wife here. Never would have thought it would have led to lead pastoring here. God knew better than I knew. And now when I go back to Southern Oregon, I go, wow, it sure rains in Oregon a whole, whole lot, you know? <laughs> and I, I've been here for 15 years and I love the sunshine. And I go back there and I go, this is depressing. You can't see the sun for, for four whole days. And just the way that God has worked now, all my immediate family is in Denver. My parents, my brother, my sister, the Cartier clan is relocated to, to Colorado. And Amber grew up here. God knew me better than I knew myself. And if I could speak to your heart a little bit this morning, if you're wrestling with some kind of decision, have you really let it go at the hands of the feet of Jesus? He loves you. He died for you. God created you. We can trust him. And we have desires, but we have limited perspective, don't we? God, I don't have all of the information. You've got all the information. So I'm putting this at your feet. Israel doesn't do this. They don't respond in this way. In verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they've forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. God says, look, look, this is all that I've done for them. I delivered them out of Egypt. I gave them the promised land, but yet they still don't want to serve me. This is a tremendous downgrade to stop serving the one true living God and to serve these idols. In verse nine, now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the kings who will reign over them. This is just like the Lord. He's saying, if this is what you want, you can have it, but you're going to have full knowledge of it. Maybe you're trying to purchase a house. Normally you get an inspector, and this inspector gives you full knowledge of, of the condition of, of the house. And then you decide from there. 
see what the owners will fix and go through that process. And God is giving full disclosure to the children of Israel. This is what it's going to be like to, to have a king. In verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. Samuel's faithful to deliver the message fully. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He's going to draft your young men. Your sons are going to become his soldiers, become his captains. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. So he's going to take your daughters and draft them into the kitchen. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He's going to take the best of your labor. He's going to take the best of your fruit for himself. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. Man, if we could only get that tax rate, that'd be pretty good. Ten <laughs> percent's not too bad, is it? Government's expensive, isn't it? Government's expensive. And they're saying, do you really want to go in, in this direction? Do you want this? Do you want this king? Well, this is what the king is going to do. He is going to take the very best. How do we contrast this with Jesus Christ? Earthly kings take the best for themselves, but the king of kings gives the very best of himself for us. Jesus could demand everything from us. It's his right. It's his position. He's our creator. He's God. But instead of demanding, what does he do? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. This causes us to see how awesome Jesus is and how he's a wonderful king and accepting him as our king. In verse 18, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you've chosen, whom, whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. You're gonna have a king, so now you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of this. It's not that God has forsaken them, but God's gonna allow them to experience the fruit of their decisions. Please hear this. Any master that we choose, any king that we choose other than Jesus Christ is going to lead to oppression instead of freedom. If we, we give our allegiance to anything other than Jesus, and Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you daily take up your cross, daily we crucify our flesh to the cross and say, my life doesn't belong to me, my life belongs to you. That's where freedom is going to develop in our lives. In verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. The scriptures tell us that there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. If we got a message like this from a person like Samuel, could we hear it? Could we respond to it? Could we give up of our demands? They go into toddlerhood here in verse 19. This is toddler behavior. This is like, no, I want this, and I'm going to have this, and I don't care what you say. It's mine. 
And that's exactly what the children of Israel are doing unto the Lord. We want to listen to God. We want to listen to his messengers that he sends us. In verse 20, that we also may be like the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Man, they want a man to go out before them and fight their battles instead of the Lord. And they have this rich heritage and legacy and history of God fighting their battles. They're gonna get exactly what they asked for in the person of Saul. Saul is man's choice. David reflects God's choice. How many times in our lives do we look to a person instead of to the Lord? It is a little bit easier at first. If you're in a real jam, things are tough in your family, some aspect of your life, it's really easy to look to a person and say, would you please help me through this? Would you go into to battle for me? And it's not wrong looking to others for help, but it is wrong if we're not looking to the Lord first and foremost, right? Saying, God, I need you to fight my battle. I need you to give me wisdom. God, I need you to bring the people around that you would want to help in this particular situation. God to fight our battles instead of looking to man to fight our battles. And Samuel heard all of the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. This is interesting. The Lord heard the people as well, but Samuel's giving intercession. He's, he's bringing the people before the Lord. Samuel's unique in the fact that he's a judge, but he's also a priest. The other judges were deliverers, but they weren't priests. So he has the heart of a priest, and he wants to bring the needs, the despair of the people before, before the Lord. He would represent God to the people, but he would also represent the people before God, ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ and Jesus being our high priest. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. I respect Samuel that he honored what the Lord said. It would have been easy for Samuel to say, okay, Lord, can I please give them one more chance? Give them one more opportunity. Go back to the children of Israel. Please listen to the voice of God. But he listens because the heart of the children of Israel is hard. So let's consider a few things as we make our way this morning. Is how much do I demand my own way? It's hard to deal with the fact that we're inherently selfish. If you don't know that about yourself, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you are inherently selfish. It'd be nice if it just stayed with toddlers, that as soon as they turned four, selfishness was dead for the rest of our lives. But our culture feeds into it. I can get whatever I want. It's about me. It's about my desires. I'm going to demand my, my own way. Everything is I, 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 I. How much do you demand your own way with the Lord? Are you at that place where you're coming to surrender, a life of surrender. God, you know better than me. This is a great adventure. Instead of demanding our own way. How much do you demand your own way with others? When we are like that with others, we're not fun to be around. Give me a king. Give me this. Give me that. You're not doing this for me. When those kind of words come out of our hearts and our minds, it's an indicator that we're not in the right place. And we can see it with the children of Israel when we read through this chapter. But what if someone wrote a chapter on my selfishness? 
They wrote a chapter on my demands. They were honest about how much that I'm selfish, and I could see it clearly. How much do I demand my own way? And then do I trust God enough to desire and accept his will? It comes down to lordship. It comes down to trust. It comes down to understanding who he is, that God, I accept and I desire your will. Your will's mysterious. Sometimes it's disappointing. I don't understand, but I want your will in my life. There's an old saying, an old adage that remains true. God gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. God gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. Are you leaving the choice with him? And then how much do I want to be like others, be similar to others? So frustrating, so death-dealing instead of life-giving to our hearts and our lives. This chapter moves me, it challenges me to say, God, I want your will. When you're in those turning points, those crossroads of life, go back to this chapter, say, God, I don't want to demand of you my will. I don't want to demand of you my way. I want to accept your will. I want to accept what you, you have for me. Open doors, close doors. Today, God, I want to live for you. I don't want to be my own boss. I want you to be my Lord. I want to be surrendered unto you. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for how refreshing it is to, to kind of see this played out when we demand things of you instead of submitting ourselves to your will. Lord, you're good. You're an awesome God. You love us. You enjoy leading your people. You're our shepherd. We're your sheep. You lead us to green pastures. You have good things in mind. You want our lives to be used for your glory. We don't want to be like the children of Israel, but we want to be in a place where we're surrendered to you, where we think of our own country on this 4th of July weekend, and a lot of ways we've made demands of you, or we've rejected you. Lord, and in our lives and for this group of people, we really want to accept your authority. We want to see what our lives in this church can look like when you're the head. Jesus, you're the head of this church. You're the head of our lives. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. Not, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if this message is particularly applicable to some today, Lord, would you...